Hey man, what's up, brother? Hey man, looking good tonight, bro. Love you. Ah, gee. <laughs> uh, how's it going, CA students? It's good to be with you guys. Um, got a praise report. Had a long drive today, and my baby girl slept the whole time. There is a God, and He's worthy of praise. <laughs> um, but for real, it's good to be with you guys on this Wednesday night. For those of you I might not have gotten to meet yet, my name is Levi, and I'm one of the pastors on the team here. And it's just a joy to be with you all tonight. I'm very excited because uh, right now is the time in our night where we take a look at God's Word, and we get to continue in this series that we have been in for this semester called Kingdom Now. And like Jake was saying, we're going through the Gospel of Luke. There are four eyewitness uh, kind of biographies of Jesus in the Bible, and the Gospel of Luke is one of them. And so we're going through those, or we're going through Luke together. Uh, and the, the reason we're calling it Kingdom Now is because the Gospel of Jesus Christ is the declaration of the good news that God has come and he's become king. And, and the thing is that with him, he brought a way of living. You know, like every king, every queen, they have a reign. And that's the way that king or that queen does things. It's their way of doing things, right? And the thing is that God has a way of doing things. And he revealed what that was through Jesus. And so when Jesus came to earth, he came showing what God's way of doing things really is. That's what the kingdom of God means. And, and the thing is that this, his kind of kingdom, it's a radically different kingdom. And as we follow him, the way we do things is transformed to match the way that he does things as well. And so we want to talk about this kingdom that is here and available to us now. Last week, Jake started us off through the Gospel of Luke chapters 1 and 2. And he talked about how in the kingdom of God, that God always does what he says he will do. That that's a defining aspect of the kingdom of God. If God says it, it's as good as done. You can take that one to the bank. You can bet the farm. Any other mannerism you want to use, go ahead and do it because God said it, right? Like that's, that's who God is. He is unchanging in his character. If he says it, it's going to happen. And also that the kingdom of God looks different. One of the ways is this, that greatness looks different in the kingdom of God. In the world we live in, greatness looks like being super important, having a lot of people answer to you and serve you. And in the kingdom of God, it's just, right? In the kingdom of God, humility is what's truly great. In, in the kingdom of God, the servants are the greatest of all. Instead of saying, I have the most people answering to me, it's, I have the most people that I'm serving. That, that's what true greatness is in the kingdom of God. That's what Jake drew out of the text last week, Luke 1 through 2. Tonight, uh, if you were reading through Luke with us on our reading plan, you read uh, chapter 2, verse 21 through chapter 5. Uh, and I want to just, again, invite you guys, if you, it's not too late to jump in. If you have uh, one of those handouts, the reading for this upcoming week uh, is going to be on the bottom of the handout. I really want to invite you to read Luke with us. Two reasons. One, come on, we're all doing it. Like, do, do it with us. You know, like, let's all do it together. All the cool kids are doing it. It's fun. We're, we're a team, right? That's the first reason. The second reason is you'll encounter Jesus. <laughs> Like, you're reading eyewitness accounts of what God as man said and did. 
that's going to change your life, <laughs> right? And so I want to invite you to come and encounter this God who became king with us through the reading plan. So uh, for tonight, I wanted to focus in on one small section within that range uh, that you read this past week. And it's chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. If you have your Bible, you can turn there uh, if you like to do that. Otherwise, the verses will be on the screen uh, as well. And so I just want to read this for us. It's only 11 verses. Uh, so let's, let's read the Word of God. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the Word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He just gets into one of the boats, <laughs> the, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So get this picture. Jesus is teaching, and he sees that the fishermen have just come in washing their nets. He's like, I'm going to teach from a boat. All right? And he hops in a boat, and he's like, hey, dude who just finished fishing, you know, like, take me out in your boat, and I'll teach from the boat. You can imagine Peter's kind of like, like, I just got here, man. <laughs> you know, like, okay. And so he goes out and he takes Jesus on the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, like I was, he, he was teaching kind of like from the shallows to everyone that was listening. Then he says to Simon, like, hey, let's go out deep. You know, I remember when, whenever Jake and I would go to the beach as a kid, he's like, hey, Levi, you want to swim past the buoys? I'm like, no, that's where sharks are. Right. <laughs> Anyways, Jesus, Jesus is like, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Jesus, I just did that. We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But get this. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. Talk about too much of a good thing, right? A good problem to have. So they signaled their partners in the other boat, the one Jesus didn't get in, to come help them. And they came and they filled both boats, boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. He doesn't know everything about who Jesus is, but he knows he's a big deal. And remember what's great in the kingdom of God? This is great. Humility is great. His, his acknowledgement of his need is what later qualified him to lead. Ooh, that's a Jake Walker line. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners, the other boat guys. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore. They left everything and they followed him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's entertaining. <laughs> and thank you, God, that when we come to it, and we apply it to our lives and we listen to your voice, you totally transform our lives and our hearts. So God, I pray that as we, as we look and uh, talk about this passage of your scripture for the rest of the night, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be speaking to us and that we would know you and love you more dearly by the end of this night. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. See, students, we're going to do a little activity called exegesis. Say exegesis. exegesis. This is different than eisegesis. We're going to do an activity called exegesis. What this is, is when you come to a text, you're drawing truth out of the text. You're, you're seeing what the text says, and you draw truth out of it. Eisegesis is, 
I think I know everything and I'm going to put my ideas into the text until it proves my point. Here's the thing. When you come to scripture, you want to come to scripture and have scripture speak to you, right? Because then you're transformed to the image of God. If you come to scripture thinking you have all the answers, you're going to try to transform God into your image and that's not going to work very well for you, right? Don't come to scripture thinking you know everything, thinking, trying to prove a point, because you're going to end up with a God in your image which can't save you. Instead, come to the scriptures and let God speak to you, no matter how happy, no matter how challenging it is, and you'll find a God that can save you. We're going to do a little exegesis tonight. And so we're going to draw a few points out of the text. It's like a fishing joke. Uh, Number one, in the kingdom, we discover everything by giving up everything. In the ki- you'll notice in the kingdom of God, a lot of things are upside down, or as my friend Christopher Wilson says, actually right side up. In the kingdom, we discover everything by giving up everything. Here's the thing. The only way to the abundant life, which is the life God wants us to live, the life God has for us that he desperately wants to give us, the only way to the abundant life is by following Jesus because he's the one who wants to take us there. And notice the disciples' response. They left everything and followed Jesus. What that means is sometimes following Jesus means following him away from the things we know and the things that we have. Now, I want, I want to clarify. What I'm not saying is you need to leave everything. You need to, like, sell all your possessions, leave your family, go to some place where you don't know anything, and then you can follow God. That's not what I'm saying right now. What I'm saying, you don't need to give away everything that you enjoy that makes you happy. What you do need to do is you need to leave everything that will stop you from following Jesus. That's the call of Jesus, right? He, he wants to lead us into the abundant life. And it's up to you whether you're going to leave behind the things that will hold you back from that, right? He's, he's not trying to get you, he's not like, hey, if you leave behind everything, you'll earn a spot in eternal life. He says, hey, if you leave behind the things that are holding you back, you'll discover that you're able to hold on to more of the abundant life that I have for you, right? And so I, I, I think of these things in like a few categories that Jesus wants us to walk away from. He definitely is inviting us to walk away from sin habits, right? Sin is rebellion against God and every human ever <laughs> does that. <laughs> and Jesus wants to save us from that. He wants to lead us away from these sin habits. And when you walk away from them, you discover the freedom from sin that he actually wants you to live in. When you walk away from gossip, you discover relationships based on trust. When you walk away from lust, you discover what true intimacy is. When you walk away from pride, get this, you discover the joy of seeing someone else win. Have you felt that? Or do you only feel crushed and angry? It doesn't have to be that way. You, you You can, with the power and saving of Jesus, you can walk away from these sin habits and you can walk to true freedom. That's one thing that he wants us to walk away from. Here's the thing. Maybe Jesus wants to invite you to walk away from your life goals. But watch this. If you walk away from your life goals, you just might walk into his eternal perspective. 
Because Jesus wants something more for your story to be just absorbed into our culture's narrative, where your job right now is to get good grades so you can get to a good college, so you can get a good job, so you can have an easy life, and so you can have a good retirement. What if instead Jesus had something way more exciting in mind, where he wants to invite you into his story, which revolves around saving this world and inviting souls into eternity with him? In order to walk into that, you just might have to walk away from some other life goals that you had that don't line up with what he's talking about. What about control over your own money? So sometimes we're like, we can be so anxious about, are we going to have enough that we are so close-handed with our money? What if, what if Jesus wants us to walk away from that and towards generosity? What happens when you walk away from that and towards generosity is your money is multiplied and it doesn't just benefit you, but it can benefit others. If you have been a part of CA for any length of time, like since Christmas, you know, CA, because of the generosity of the people of CA, Christian Assembly was able to cancel $5.3 million of medical debt in Los Angeles. The only way that abundant life happens is when people walked away from holding on to their money and walked towards generosity with Jesus. That's abundant life. That's the type of thing Jesus is wanting us to walk towards, right? What about our relationships? You know, perhaps Jesus is inviting you to walk away from some relationships and into other ones. Now, don't hear me, don't hear me wrongly. We are called to love everyone. That is extremely clear from Scripture. But equally clear from Scripture, you're not supposed to be influenced by everyone. And just a truth of life and a truth from Scripture is the people that you spend the most time with, your closest friends, will profoundly influence you. If, if, if you think they're like, oh, I'm just going to hang out with these people, I'm not going to become like them, you're fooling yourself, right? Like, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And, and, and Jesus, I'm not saying like, oh, you have to like stop talking to them and never talk to them again. But perhaps those people shouldn't be your closest friends if they're not also pursuing Jesus. Because if you're around people that are not pursuing Jesus, you'll end up living life that way. And God, Jesus is calling you to abundant life, right? And it's true that we need to surrender everything when we follow Jesus, but that's not the end of the story, right? The full and complete truth is that when we give up everything, we gain everything. Jesus goes on to say in Luke chapter 9, or kind of sneak peek, like Luke chapter 9, verse 24, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. Jesus tells this parable, which is just a story with a point. He tells the story of a man who's working in this field, and he discovers treasure in the field, and he's like, holy moly, right? And so he goes, and he sells everything he has so that he can buy this field, and if you hear that story and you think the moral of the story is you need to sell everything, you missed it. The point is that he gained everything, right? He sold something so that he could gain something better. He got the treasure in the field, right? He, he got something of greater worth. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about with our lives. He is saying, hey, give up this thing of lesser value so that you can have abundant life with me, right? He, this is, see, students, please hear me. Jesus is not like setting some bar of like, if you don't do this, you're not going to be good enough for me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you hold on too tightly to these old things, there won't be space in your hands for what I want to give you. That'll be truly better. Jesus 
just desperately wants to lead us into the abundant life? Are we willing to walk towards him and even put behind some things that aren't going to take us there? You know, some people treat following Jesus like an extracurricular activity. You know, like, you know, like I'm doing my school and that's the real thing. But yeah, like, yeah, I'll go to church. You know, like that'll round out my college app. Like that people will think better of me if I give time to that. And like, yeah, I'll, I'll connect with God for a second there, but I'll hang out with my friends. But, but, but if it's going to stop me from like studying or if it's going to stop me from my sports or if it's going to stop me from this, like that's going to take priority because that's what I'm actually doing with my life. What if what we were actually doing with our lives was following Jesus? Because if, if following Jesus is just an extracurricular activity, every time he calls you to something, you're going to see that as a distraction from your true aim in life when it should be flipped. And this is the invitation of Jesus. He's, he's calling us to abundant life. He's not saying do this so that you can be good enough. He's saying do this so that you can be with me, right? Like it's the invitation to be with our God. And I think there can kind of be two categories of people when it comes to this, right? There are some people like, yeah, I think Jesus is pretty cool, but I'm not sure I want to give up everything for him. Like that, that sounds kind of crazy. I, I kind of like my life. I like kind of my rhythms. But most honestly, what that means is you just want part of Jesus. The part that loves you, but not the part that challenges you. And here's the profound and I think scary thing. God honors your free will so much that he will honor your decision of only wanting part of Jesus and you will only have part of Jesus because you only wanted part of Jesus and you will only experience part of the life that he talks about. And here's the thing, CA students, it's not because he's holding it back from you, it's because you're not taking hold of it. You can have as much of God as you want, CA students. You can have as much of God as you want, but sometimes you need to put down what's in your hand to take up something new. That's, that's what it comes down to. Let's stop saying that God is holding out on us when it's actually that we are holding out on God. God is not stingy. God is overwhelmingly generous. God wants to give you more than you can imagine. Are your hands open to receive it? And so if you find yourself in a place where you're like, I'm, I'm just not sure I want to give my whole life to Jesus. That sounds kind of crazy. Here's what I would offer. I want, I want you to consider praying this prayer. God, I want to want you more. Help me to want you more. Did you know he'll answer that prayer? He will grow your desire for him. Even if right now you don't really feel it, but you kind of think it'd probably be a better idea. I just want to invite you to pray that prayer. And, and I believe that God will answer that prayer for you. Maybe you're in a different category. You, you want Jesus and you want to give your whole life for him, but you're scared. And can I just say, like, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, like, it, it makes sense to be scared. It kind of, it, it's, it's intimidating. He's asking for everything, right? What will my family, my friends, my teammates think of me? Will I have enough money to sustain me? Will God really satisfy me if I do this? And if you're kind of feeling that fear and you're just like not sure God's going to come through or pull through for you, I just want to offer you, please hear me, I'm not condemning you. I just want to honestly ask this question. Maybe you don't have stories about God meeting you in remarkable and miraculous ways because you haven't yet created a space for him to do so. Maybe you won't have a story of God catching you until you have a story of you jumping off of something. I, I know that's true in my life. 
And again, it's not about, it's not about earning an experience with God. It's about opening yourself up to the waterfall that God wants to pour into your life. It's not God holding out on you. It's only ever us holding out on God. Will you open your heart and your life open to God? And so maybe what you could pray is this, God, what area of my life are you calling me to give to you? And I promise you that he will, he will speak to you and he will open up your eyes and you can do that. How's exegesis going? That's point number one, right? In the kingdom, we discover everything by giving up everything. Here's the second thing I think we see from this passage. In the kingdom, part of following Jesus means catching people. <laughs> part of following Jesus means catching people. Jesus said that he would make his disciples fishers of people instead of fishers of fish. I personally think this makes us peoplers, but that's besides the point, right? Here's the thing. <clears throat> Jesus said, I will make you fishers of people. That was his invitation to these people to follow him, right? And so whatever following Jesus means, it definitely includes fishing for people, <laughs> So what in the world does fishing for people mean, right? So I did a little study, right? A little, little commentary research. And, and here, here's what I found. In the Old Testament, fishing for people is used metaphorically as gathering people for judgment. We see this in the minor prophet of Amos and a few others. Uh, and then John the Baptist, just in Luke chapter 3, uses the same imagery as fishing, as gathering people for judgment. Now that sounds terrifying, until you remember the kingdom you're being invited to, right? In any other kingdom being in, gathered for judgment, it's like, okay, no thanks, right? But in the kingdom of God, you're being gathered for judgment where the judgment was passed on the king so that you could be, have his status. You're being gathered so that Jesus could pronounce judgment on you and pronounce you holy because he gave his life for you. That's the kind of judgment he wants to pronounce on you. And, that's, and he's gathering people. He wants as many people as possible to receive that kind of judgment. Another, uh, in Jesus' time, other Greek teachers in Greek literature, fishing for people was used as a metaphor for the activity of philosopher teachers. So they would want to be like gathering people into this like new way of thinking or new way of life that they want to Put, give to people, right? And Jesus, let me just tell you, he is the master. He is the ultimate teacher, right? And so Jesus comes on the scene and he wants to invite people to understand this new way of living that he has made possible. God's way of doing things. This is what he wants people to know. And here's the thing. He calls his followers fishers of people. So it's not just the master. It's not just the teacher inviting people, but he empowers his followers to be his representatives in inviting people to hear about this new way of living. So what is fishing for people? Let's just look at what Jesus did to Peter in that moment, right? He invites Peter to live in his kingdom to live in the kingdom of God. And what does living in the kingdom of God mean? It means two things. It means you live in God's grace and you live out God's mission. You live in God's grace and you live out God's mission, right? You receive the full benefits of what it means to be under the king who would die for his subjects, right? Jesus loves us. We receive all the grace, mercy, forgiveness we could imagine. And we tell as many people as we can about it 
right? We join the mission of the kingdom as well. We are called to fish for people. What, whatever being a follower of Jesus means, a huge part of it is knowing God and making him known. So CA students, have you been fishing recently? Seriously. Like, when, who was the last person that you told this good news to? I'm, I'm so excited and so proud of you, Nathan. Like, that's what you're doing tomorrow. You're, ca- you're like, before I get out of here, I am throwing these nets. You know what I mean? And, and, and let's take the disciples' posture. Maybe you've done this before, and you're like, Jesus, I've been out all night trying. But because you said to, I'll put the nets out again. What if we had that posture where Jesus is inviting us to drop the nets one more time? And let's see what happens this time, right? First, in the kingdom, we discover everything by giving up everything. Second, in the kingdom, part of following Jesus means catching people. And the third and last point for the night, in the kingdom, the only way to grow is to follow. Slant rhyme, right? The only way to grow is to follow. CA students, give me five more minutes. The kingdom of God is not found in a location The kingdom of God is not a set of rituals. It's not a gathering of resolutions. It's not a list of rules. The kingdom of God is not a program. It's not a philosophy. It's not a way of thinking. The kingdom of God is following the king. You cannot separate the principles and practices of the kingdom from the person of the kingdom. Colossians chapter 1 says that Jesus was the image of the invisible God. So throughout history, there was this God, the God of creation, the God of Israel. His name was Yahweh, right? And he was this good and faithful God. But they weren't able to know him fully. And then, bam, here comes Jesus. And he says, I and the Father are one. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. We can finally know what the creator of the universe is like. We just look at Jesus. And so if you want to know God's way of doing things, we look at what Jesus said and what Jesus did. And then we do that. <laughs> that's, what, that's what following Jesus means. That's what being his disciple is. We, we kind of hear this word disciple, and it's just really churchy word. It's like, I think it's basically like a churchy way to say someone who follows someone. And you're like, you're halfway there, right? Uh, some other people would translate the word we translate as disciple as apprentice. I'm like, oh, that's a little bit more helpful. That's a word I've heard more <laughs> than disciple, right? Here's the thing. An apprentice, their whole purpose is to be under a master learning everything they do so that they can take up their craft, right? So like uh, an apprentice to a blacksmith, there's a master blacksmith, and the apprentice is watching and learning and trying and doing everything the master is doing so that one day they too will be a blacksmith. Well, guess what? If you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple, you are an apprentice of Jesus in eternal living, Jesus came to show us what it's like to live the eternal kind of life now. And so if you're his follower, you are taking note of everything the master does. Taking note of everything the master says. So that it will come a day when we will be able to do the things that he is doing. That's what he said, right? We want to do the things that Jesus would do if he was in our spot. 
right? That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And here's the thing. Oftentimes, the best way to follow Jesus is to follow someone who's following Jesus. <laughs> you know, it is profound pride to think all I need is my Bible. It's just me and Jesus, right? If you think that, you are dangerous. There, there have been 2,000 years of people faithfully following this God. And if you think you don't need to hear anything they have to say, you are profoundly proud and you are dangerous. Sorry. <laughs> you know, like, if you have no accountability, if you have no one in your life whose no is bigger than your yes and whose yes is bigger than your no, you're dangerous, right? As I love how the Apostle Paul said it. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. See, students, it's not complicated. We need help following Jesus. And we look to Jesus and we do everything he showed us to do. And we need other people that have been doing that for longer than we have. And we need to do everything they're doing, right? We need to follow other people as they follow Jesus. Here's the thing. Sometimes those types of people in our life will correct us. And correction can hurt, but let me tell you, from someone who loves you, correction is protection, right? Because if you are, if you're about to do something stupid and you tell your discipler and they say, don't do that, that's stupid, that, that, that's correction, but guess what? You're not about to do something that would blow up. That's good, right? Like that, that little moment of pain of correction is actually worth the protection that it brings, Right? And so here, here's, here's what we want to talk about. If, if you see students, if you have the gift of having parents that are apprentices of Jesus, then they are your primary disciples, you know, and, and we are secondary. But I know that not everyone in this room has that situation. And so we wanted to kind of put a name on this thing called discipleship. And so we're, we're start, just starting this thing called grow time, right? I think we even have a slide for it, grow time, right? And, and here's the thing. A lot of us, we, we've been doing a lot of this already, right? It, this is just when a leader comes up to you and is like, hey, like, let's hang out sometime and talk about Jesus. You know, or maybe you've approached a leader and like, hey, I, like, do, do I ask the girl out or no? Or like whatever other, like, <laughs> probably not, like whatever other, like, <laughs> Sorry, that was mean. Whatever other issue you may have wondering about following Jesus, and, and they give you wisdom. They think, you know, like, I think in this instance, being a follower of Jesus, you should take this path. That's grow time, right? And so we've been doing this, but I wanted to sort of make it a thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So that you can go up to a leader, any, any pastor or volunteer leader, and be like, hey, like, I would love some grow time. Because I want to talk about this. I want to know how to follow Jesus in this way right? Or maybe a leader will approach you and be like, hey, I would love to hang out and have some grow time. The, the reason that we do that is because the only way to grow in the kingdom of God is to follow, right? And, and it's humility and it's wisdom to, to accept that invitation, right? I, I have this, there's this one professor I had in college who was just, I was like, I basically just want to be you when I grow up, you know? And so, and I told him that, and he's like, we can meet up once a month. He's like, you're kind of weird. Not more than that. Uh, and, and I just asked him like, how do you like know this much about like church history and scripture? And he's like, I read a lot of books. And so I started reading more books, you know? And, and, and I just, I did everything that he told me to do. And, and I became part, part of the man I am today is because of that, 
CA students. And so I, I just want to cast this vision that if you don't have someone in your life that's like, oh yeah, that's my discipler. Like that's the person that's discipling me. Then you need to, you need to have one. And also make sure they know that, <laughs> you know, like make sure they know that you are that person in their life whose no is bigger than your yes. Like if you don't think it's a good idea, I'm not going to do it. That's humility. That's the kingdom of God, right? And so in conclusion, what do we learn from this story of, of Jesus in this miraculous catch of fish and this invitation to follow him? Well, we learn that before you give up everything, Jesus already provided all the fish. <laughs> He's already like, look at what I just did. You can bank on that, right? We, we learn that the, the only way to grow in the kingdom of God is to follow those who have gone before and to follow Jesus himself. And we learn that if we want to follow Jesus, we got to keep putting the nets out. CA students, remember, this is not a way that we can earn or achieve better followership of Jesus. It's really just, Jesus, take more of me. And, and here's the secret. When you offer more of yourself to Jesus, you're actually opening yourself to more of him. And so I'm going to pray for us to close this time, and then we're going to uh, take just a few minutes to discuss this uh, in some small groups so we can apply this to our own lives. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for being near to us. Thank you that you're a God who uh, loves us so much that you want to transform our lives. <laughs> so God, I pray that as we continue to follow you, that you would speak to us, that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would provide for us people to disciple us and lead us uh, further and further following you. God, I pray that we would continue to know you and trust you with all our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.